scripture tonight. Lord, we pray that as we come to you, that you would anoint the word, and Lord, that you would open our understanding, the eyes of our heart, and God, we pray that you would help us to know your truth. Lord, we thank you that we can know the truth, and the truth will make us free. Lord, I pray for that anointing to preach and teach as you desire, and God, we ask that anointing to hear and receive all that you have for us tonight. And Lord, we ask it in Jesus' holy name. Everybody says, hallelujah. So tonight we're, we're talking about once saved, always saved. Is it biblical? Is it true? Uh, this is one of the topics that a lot of times gets under people's skin and it also uh, can separate folks. Uh, but we just want to preach the truth and we want to get into the meat of the matter about what God says. It's not about what a denomination believes. It's not about what my grandpa taught me. It's not about what I want my Sunday school teacher to teach me. It's about what saith the Lord. Um, and so I hope that you can appreciate on any given topic just the, the awesome thing that we have in the Word of God. I believe that God's Word settles every argument. Um, if it doesn't tell me, you know, I have to paint my room blue or gray, then that's okay. God gives me free will. But there's things that God says in the Word of God that are black and white, that thus saith the Lord, and it is a settlement of the matter. And so whenever it comes to these kinds of topics, we have to approach God's Word that way. And if we question God's Word, we'll end up uh, in a bad place. But if we accept God's word, God will lead us and guide us just like he's doing in your life. All of us here today can give testimonies about how we've, we've heard God's word, we've accepted God's word, and God took us out from where we were, and he brought us to where we are. We may not be where we want to be yet, but we're on the way. And that's not because of your efforts, not because of what you know, is because you just believe what God said. You just said yes to God. Amen? And so uh, the first thing that we want to look at is uh, on eternal security, okay? Uh, just setting up some parameters. Number one is eternal security, or once saved, always saved. Is, is it possible to have eternal life? Yes. Um, so a lot of times whenever you get into a topic or a discussion about once saved, always saved, or this eternal security question, a lot of times what happens is people will begin to debate whether salvation is eternal or not. That's not the debate. That's undebatable. Salvation is eternal. If you're saved, you're saved. The question is, can you walk away? Can you forfeit? Can you compromise? Can you backslide? Can you be spewn out of the mouth of Jesus? Can you, can you, you know, uh, draw back from your faith? These are things that we have to look at. So, uh, it's not, is it eternal? It is, can you walk away from it? Um, so we're going to begin just, just simply, we're just going to simply begin with the words of Jesus. Okay. So, no harm, no foul. Let's go to the red letters. John 3, verse 3. Jesus answered and said unto him, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, Except the man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Why well, am I bringing you to this passage? Because I want you to see that Jesus is talking about how we must be born again. We have to be born, not only physically, but we have to be born spiritually in order to go to heaven. You cannot be born just once. You have to be born of the Spirit also. And a lot of times people, uh, they, they think that they can just live a natural life and add a little bit of religion and that they'll be okay. But at the end of the day, when we die, when we expire, we're going to face God. And on that day, you must have been born of the Spirit on that day. And so the severity of a topic like this is very important because when you finish your race, you must be born again. You must, you must be saved. Otherwise, you won't even see heaven. So uh, Jesus makes that explicitly and abundantly clear. And now we're going to go into a little bit deeper matter on that. So uh, first off, let's just stay with Jesus and, and move over to John chapter number 15. John chapter number 15. I think that you know uh, from the Bible that you must be born again. But I just wanted to set it up that way because it's, it's not a questionable thing. You have to be born again. And so if you have to be born again, uh, when it comes to eternal security, these things matter. In John chapter 15, I want to point out a couple of things to you. In verse number one, Jesus said, I am the true vine. 
and my father is the husbandman. Who's the vine? Jesus is. The father is the husbandman. The father is the one that watches over everything, his eyes on everything. Jesus is the one in which life exists. Jesus is the one who, who, who draws out so that we may live. Jesus is the one that we can get uh, branched into, that we can get grafted into. Jesus is that vine that the father has for us in order to receive Life. I want you to know that in a vine, life is in that vine. The little twigs on it, if you cut them off, they don't live. Amen? How many of you have ever seen a plant with a, a dead branch on it? The plant's alive, but the branch is dead. This is a, a, a great illustration. And, you know, a lot of times Jesus, whenever he uses parables, he used natural illustrations, and he's talking about a natural thing here. And if we can talk, you can look at a tree and say, oh, there's a dead branch on that tree. Well, you better cut it off. That's what anybody would do because they would know it's dead. It's not going to do anything. They cut it off. Now, look what Jesus says here in this next verse. He says, every branch in me, that's a believer, How many of you know when Jesus said every branch in me, he's not talking about people that aren't saved? Could you be not saved and in him? If if you're in him, would you be saved? Is that, I mean, right? I'm just from East Texas. But if you're in him, I'm assuming you're not going to be unsaved and in him. You're going to be repentant and born again. Mark 1, 15. So he said, every branch in me that beareth not fruit, he taketh away. And every branch that beareth fruit, he purges it that it may bring forth more fruit. Hold on. So there's two possible scenarios for a branch in Jesus. It's either producing or not producing. If it's not producing, he cuts it off. If it's producing, it's getting trimmed, cut on, pride. Because God wants you to continually produce more fruit. God wants you to continually grow. We never arrive. God wants us to continue to grow in our faith. He wants our prayer life to develop. He wants our, our knowledge of him to grow. He wants our, our faith to increase. He wants our boldness to, to increase. He wants us to go and, and, and mentor people, to go from being the mentee to being the mentor. He wants us to grow in our faith. And that's our purpose in life. Our purpose in life is to serve him that his kingdom may be furthered. And all that is is the fruit that God's looking for in our lives. But I just want you to point, I just want to point this out to you, that even in this passage right here, you can't get away from this unmistakable truth that it is possible for a branch to once be in Jesus and then be taken out of Jesus. This is an unmistakable, irrevocable truth. You see it right there, verse 2. And these passages are littered throughout the whole scripture. This is not a one-off thing. This is not a taken-out-of-context thing. This is throughout all of scripture. For instance, I will tar- I'll start with you at the very beginning. Adam, one of the biggest debates about eternal. Well, if it's eternal, you can't lose it. How many of you know that if Adam had never have sinned, he would have never died? God told Adam, he said, don't eat from that tree. He said, the day that you eat it, surely you will die. That's what God told him. In the day that you eat it, you're going to die. Well, when, when Adam heard that command, if he would have obeyed that command, he would have never died. What would you call somebody that never dies? Eternal. It's eternal life. He had it. He was made without sin. And, and, and so here is Adam, without sin, eternally, blissfully walking in the cool of the evening with God Almighty. And then he eats from the wrong tree, the tree that God said don't eat from. And what happened? He died. So did he lose it? Yeah, he did. You, you, can, you, you can phrase it any way you want to, but he, he walked away or he forfeited the blessing of eternal life. He forfeited it. He dropped it. He, he, he walked away from it. He said no to it. He canceled it. He didn't continue in it. He drew back from it. He, he, he shipwrecked his faith. However you want to phrase it, he did it. He did it. Now, did he later repent? I believe so. 
I, I, there's no scripture to tell me that, but in my, in my heart, I just believe it. I believe that later on, Adam repented. I do, but there, we don't know. I just see it in his, in his children. His children were taught to honor God, to worship God, and to bring God's sacrifices. So evidently, somebody had to teach them that. So I'm thinking Adam did. So anyways, if you'll continue in, let's go down a little bit further in the same passage. He says, now you are clean through the word which I have spoken unto you. Abide in me and I in you as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself except that abide in the vine. No more can you except you abide in me. Here we go. I am the vine, you are the branches. He that abideth in me and I in him, the same bringeth forth much fruit. For without me, you can do nothing. If a man abide not in me, he is cast forth as a branch and is withered, and men gather them and cast them into the fire, and they are burned. So whenever, we're, whenever the Lord is talking about these branches that are on this vine that aren't producing anything, and he has to cut them off, he's not just laying them neatly in a stack next to the vine and, and, and just you know letting them kind of sit there. He's casting them into fire. So those that get cut off are in danger. This is, this is how severe this is. This is not a casual operation. This is a severe thing. This is something that we should fear. This is one of those things where the fear of the Lord is the beginning of all wisdom. That's where it comes from. I don't want to go there. I don't want to miss my place. I don't want rocks crying out in my place. I don't want to miss glory. I don't want to miss sitting at his feet. I, and, and there's times in our life that, that sometimes things begin to get dry and dull and we need to go and we need to repent and we need to get revived in the spirit and we need those times of refreshing that comes from the presence of the Holy Ghost and we need to build up our, our, our spirit man by praying in the Holy Ghost and we need to seek the face of God and be refreshed by the presence of God and, and, and grow. But if we're not willing to do that, then we will go the opposite way. Uh, so here's some of the things that I want to get into tonight. So um, how, how, do you, how do you persevere? Now, one of the things that I, I do want to touch on is that when it comes to eternal security, nobody can take it away from you. If anybody could take it away from you, the devil would take it away from all of us right now. Jesus said in John chapter 10 that, 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 that in God's hand, that if you're in God's hand, no man can pluck you out. John chapter 10. If you're in God's hand, no man can pluck you out. What does that mean? That means nobody can make you leave God. Externally, nobody can cause a separation between you and God externally. Internally, different story. You nobody can pluck you out of God's hand, but can you deny God and walk away from God? Absolutely. Scripture teaches this over and over and over and over. Now, how long do you have to deny God before you lose it or before you drop it or before you draw back? There's a line we don't know. That's between God and the person. God is a just judge, and he knows but I will tell you this, I don't want to know how close I can get to the line. I don't want to know how close I can get to, to, to grieve. How long do you have to grieve the Holy Spirit before you just, you know, just, you know, totally just, he, he's done? How, how long? I don't know, but I don't want to know. I just don't want to grieve him at all. It's like, you know, my wife. How, how long can I treat her bad before she leaves me? Well, I don't want to know that line. I, I, you know what I'm saying? I, I don't want to treat her bad. And, and, and if we truly love God, then we don't want to grieve him. And if we know something grieves him, then we don't want to do that anymore because we love him. And so, you know, when, when people talk about, well, where is the line? Well, why are you asking that question? You know, you shouldn't even be wondering or worried about that question. Um, but here's the important part that I want you to see, the need to continue. Okay, the need to continue. I'm going to show you this in Colossians chapter 1. Colossians chapter number 1. Now, like I said, that there, there are many different passages that we could go to on this topic. Uh, but I have just a few of them prepared for you that I want to just touch on. 
Colossians chapter 1, verse number 19. For it pleased the Father that in him, that's in Jesus, in him should all fullness dwell. And having made peace through the blood of his cross, by him to reconcile all things unto himself, by him I say whether they be things in the earth or things in heaven, and you that were sometime alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works, yet now hath he reconciled. Now, let's stop right there. Do you agree that if somebody's been reconciled to God, if somebody hath, well, King James, right? If somebody hath been reconciled to God, they're saved. Agree? Okay. It says, yet now hath he reconciled in the body of his flesh through death to present you holy and unblameable and unreprovable in his sight. Does anybody have a period right there after sight? No. It says he will present you holy, unblameable, and unreprovable in his sight if. That means there's a condition for the proposition. That means that this is a conditional statement in verse number 22. These key words, reconciled, holy, unblameable, and unreprovable, are all things God does in you. If. If what? It says, if you continue in the faith. What do you got? Do you got to do, do I got to go sign up on the carnival, stand on my head? How much money I got to give? What do I got to serve? What do I got to do? No, you got to continue in the faith. You're saved by grace through faith. Now, look, it says if you continue in the faith, grounded and settled and be not moved away from the hope of the gospel, which you heard in which was preached to every creature, which is under heaven, whereof I, Paul, and made a minister. And it goes on for about five more verses. But I just want you to see that these are powerful topics, reconciled, holy, un, un, you know, unblameable, unreprovable. These are things that God does in us. When he presents you before the throne on the last day, when you give up the ghost and you go to heaven uh, on that day, God will present you that way. You, you, it's not about what you did. It's, it's, it's what God does in you. He, you know, 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 30, it says, he is my righteousness. I'm not my own righteousness. I'm not going to stand before God and say, I did this, and I did this, and I did this, and I did this. I'm going to stand there and say, Jesus is my righteousness. Jesus, I'm, I'm not going to be clothed with my own white garment. I'm going to be clothed with the garment from Christ. The, the righteousness of Christ is what we are clothed in. And so when we're presented before the, before the throne, it's what he's done in us. Yet there's a condition. And the condition there clearly says, if you continue. So what's the opposite? Let's be rocket scientists for a minute. What if you don't continue? then you probably are not going to receive the benefits of standing before God holy, unblameable, unreprovable. You're, you're probably not going to receive that benefit. So what does that mean? Well, you can figure that one out, right? So if you think about it, what does it mean when he says, if you continue in the faith, means... It's possible for someone to have faith and then not continue in it. That's the only thing you can deduce from that. Now, pastor, you're pulling that out of context. You're twisting that one. You're doing this. You're doing that. No, no. It's clear. There's, you read before that. You read after that. There's the context. It may not fit in some people's doctrines. It may not preach well in some circuits. And some people may not like you for believing it. But it's right there. It's right there. So one of the things that I want to touch on before we move is that these conditional statements are all throughout Scripture. You, you may or may not have seen them in the past, but they're all throughout Scripture. If is one of the, the main conditional statements that 
the Lord has. Now, when it comes to continuing in the faith, how is it that some of us don't continue in the faith? So, do you see here that someone can not continue in the faith? Let's look over in 1 Timothy chapter 1. Just keep going a little bit further in the New Testament. 1 Timothy. Go to Thessalonians, and then to Timothy. We're going to go to verse chapter 1, and we're going to start with verse 18. So 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 18. The reason we're going here is because we just read that there is a need for continuance. You have it, and I have it. It's possible for me to stop continuing in the faith. It's possible for you to stop continuing in the faith. Lord forbid that we do, but it's possible. Nobody can make me stop. Nobody can make you stop, but you can stop continuing in the faith. Faith is an internal belief that you have in God. That's what faith is. Faith is you trusting God. That's what saves you. And you have the ability to stop trusting God. It said, if you continue in the faith. So, how, how is it that some of, us, some of us reject this need to continue in the faith? Well, let's look at it right here. 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 18. These things happen, okay? Verse 18. This charge I commit unto thee, son Timothy, according to the prophecies which went before on thee, that thou by them mightest war a good warfare. What does this mean? I thought that once you get saved, you're the cherry on top. You're the head and not the tail. Everything's a bed of roses. No, it means you've entered the war. You, it, it, it's, it's kind of like, you know, you, 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 you woke up to this new life, and this new life is a battlefield. I love Lester Roloff saying, he said, it's a battlefield, brothers. Go home if you must, but I'm here to stay. You know, it is a battlefield. The Christian life is a battlefield, and you have to recognize it for what it is. The, the devil is out to, to steal, kill, and destroy. He doesn't like believers. Anytime the word of God is sown, he wants to take it away. He wants to bring destruction where God brings life. You have to recognize war is war. It's not playing. And the devil will let you win little battles so that he can get the big one. The devil will let you win a few little battles so that you'll let your guard down so he can move in for the kill. He'll let you win a few little battles so that you'll stop praying. Oh, you want this and this and this so bad? He'll let you win some of the small things so that you'll stop praying, stop getting into the Word of God, stop sharing your faith. You'll let your guard down. You'll slowly get weaker and weaker and weaker, and then he'll pounce. He'll whisper. He'll whisper something and crush your heart because he's a deceiver. He's the tempter. He's, whether you want to admit it or not, he's good at what he does. He steals, kills, and destroys. But praise be to God, we have the victory in Jesus. Greater is he that's in us than he that's in the world. And if we stand in faith, we have the victory. The Bible says that we can take up the shield of faith and quench all the fiery darts of the wicked one. Every single dart that he flies at you, it's going to require faith to quench it. If it doesn't require faith then it's not coming from him. Faith is whenever you have to take up the word of God and believe it by faith, even when you don't feel like it. That's when you've truly taken up the shield of faith. So that's Ephesians chapter 6, by the way. Okay, let's continue in this. He said that you might war a good warfare. Why did, let's think about this. Why did Paul want Timothy to know that he needs to fight a good warfare? Because sometimes there's casualties in war. Look at this. It says um, that you might war a good warfare, holding faith. Whoa, 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 coming back to that one. That's what your salvation's dependent on. Not your effort. Not your works. Not your book knowledge. Not, not your service. Your salvation is not dependent on it's, it. It'll always come back to faith. Always come back to faith because we're saved by faith and we remain by faith. 
faith must grow. Like, look at this. It says, holding faith and a good conscience, which some having put away concerning faith have made shipwreck. How do they make shipwreck in their life? They put away faith. You know, people that once, maybe they sat on a pew by you, maybe they used to attend church, maybe they used to be a prayer warrior with you, and they stop. And they begin to draw back. They don't continue in that thing. They put away faith. And what happens is shipwreck, shipwreck. They think that they've got life under control, but life has them by the throat, dragging them around wherever it wants to, leading them astray, jerking them a flip, leading them here, leading them there. That's what life does. And the minute that we begin to lay down faith, shipwreck will ensue. None of us are greater than the world. Only Jesus is. Hallelujah. Jesus said that we can we 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 have that victory in him. We don't have that victory in us. We have the victory in him. He's the one that overcame the world. Be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. And guess what? He's in me. Amen. So we by faith vicariously participate in Christ's victory over the earth. But if you stop trusting him, and you lay down your faith, you're going to shipwreck. You're going to shipwreck. And that's what happened right here. These were some of, of Timothy's colleagues. And Paul was, letting the, Paul was letting Timothy know, you need to stay in the battle. You need to stay in the faith. Otherwise, you're going to shipwreck like some of your colleagues have. Well, how did they shipwreck, Paul? Look what he says. Now, Paul, hold on. Let me just insert this. Paul was a name dropper. In, 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 in our generation, we don't like name droppers in ministry. We don't like people to call out false ministers or, you know, denominations and thises and that's. But Paul was a name dropper. Not, not, not to be mean to them, but to show as an example, okay? He didn't just say, now, somebody that you may or may not know did this. He didn't do that, right? So, okay. Look what he says. Okay, holding faith. A good conscience, which some having put away concerning faith, have, have, not could, have made shipwreck. Can I ask you a question before we continue? Can you shipwreck what you don't have? No. Can you put away what you don't have? Can you shipwreck if you don't have the boat? No, 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 and no. Of whom is Hymenius and Alexander whom I have delivered unto Satan that they may learn not to blaspheme. What happened? They began to be blasphemers. They began to talk bad about God. They began to talk bad about God in some area, something. They they began to blaspheme. And Paul turned them over to the devil. Turned them over. They shipwrecked their faith. And, 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 And there's more to this. You can go to the next Timothy book. Go to 2 Timothy Paul's going to continue this theme in chapter 2. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 16. Well, let's, let's start with verse 15, because I want you to see the, I want you to see the, 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 um, the bomb from Gilead for this. This is the bomb from Gilead right there. Study to show yourself approved unto God, a workman that needed not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. That's what you and I both need. But shun profane and vain babblings, for they will increase unto more ungodliness. This is profane and vain babblings. That would be blasphemy. That would be uh, just just talk. It would just uh, be... uh, a damning character and doctrine. It says, um, and their word will eat as doth a canker, of whom is Hymenius, same guy, and Philetus, a new guy, who concerning the truth have erred, saying that the resurrection is already past and overthrow the faith of some. What did they overthrow? They overthrowed the faith of some. What does it mean to overthrow somebody's faith? It, it, it goes. They, they tripped over it. And, and so you see here what happened. 
these guys, these false teachers began to teach falsely and because they weren't remaining in Christ, because they weren't continuing in the faith, because they weren't solid in the truth, they weren't rightly dividing the word of truth, they weren't growing in Christ, these false teachers began to teach and these people began to get overthrown. Now, you can listen to a false teacher tonight and not get overthrown, yes. But if you continually do it knowing that it's wrong, there's something internally wrong and you will get overthrown. So what is this showing us right here? It's showing us, number one, that a lot of times we begin to backslide by beginning to listen to compromising messages and compromising teachers and things that we know are not right and we justify it. We lower our standards. God's standard doesn't lower. So you can lower yours, but God's not changing his mind. His standard's still way up here. So you can begin to lower your standards so that you can live the way you want to live or your your kid feels comfortable around you, so you kind of lower your standard because maybe they're, you know, battling this sin. And, hey, you know what? I found a a teacher that says that that sin's okay. You know, I'm just going to... You can compromise, and it'll begin to eat away. It'll begin to eat away and eat away. Like he says, it'll eat away like a canker. And it'll finally get to the point where you're easily overthrown because we didn't continue in the faith, right? So here's an important truth. When bad doctrine is received, you can get shipwrecked. When bad doctrine is received, not heard, received. When bad doctrine is received, So if you know somebody teaches wrong and you continue to listen to it anyways, it can begin to eat away at your faith. And it shows that you're not continuing in what you know. You're not rightly dividing the word and continuing in Christ. And then you'll also begin to draw back. This shows whenever they got overthrown that they began to draw back from what they knew was right. Somebody they get that, that begins to receive a false teaching, what happens is you, you know the truth, or maybe you don't, but there's a truth line right there that the Holy Spirit shows you. And then you begin to get this false doctrine, and you begin to get convicted about it, and you have to make those kinds of decisions. Should I stay in this or not? Now, it's not, and I want to just clarify something. Not at, nobody's perfect except for Jesus. Nobody's perfect except for Jesus. All of us have missed it on something. None of us are going to have it all perfect until we get to heaven, okay? So let me just make that point. And secondly, there are people that get saved in literally every church. I've seen, I've seen people get saved in a Jehovah's Witness, I don't know what they call their building, but in their kingdom hall, but they got saved and then the Spirit of God convicted them to walk out of the door. Now maybe it took a while, but look, even the Kingdom Hall allows the King James Bible in it. Now, they have their Watchtower Bible, but you get the Word of God, and you get somebody with a sincere heart to know God, the Word of God, the Holy Spirit can do amazing things in their lives. You can get saved in any place. You can get saved in prison. You can get saved in, in the Kingdom Hall. You can get saved in our church. You can get saved in any kind of church. You can get saved anywhere. But if you truly get saved, God will lead you out of those places. But you see, there's a point where you realize, hold on, I'm somewhere I don't belong, right? That once, if, if somebody begins to preach something that's not in here, you may not belong there, honestly. If it's in here, we just got to deal with it. It might be salty, but we got to deal with it. If it's in here, we got to deal with it. But if it's not in here, then we've kind of crossed a line. And that's where you get in these problems, and that's where you have to make those decisions to say, hold on. You know, these people are telling me that, that Jesus wasn't God, you know. And the Bible over and over and over tells me that Jesus is God. And so then you are presented with this problem. If you stay in that, that will begin to eat at you like a canker. And it will begin to wear at you out. And then you'll begin to get overthrown. So this is why it's important, okay. What happens, though? Once you begin to get presented with truth or you begin to get con- confronted with your sin, what happens? You got to stay, you got to go forward in the Lord. Let's go further into Hebrews chapter 10. Hebrews chapter number 10. I'm sorry if I'm going a little bit fast, but I got a lot of ground to cover. 
Hebrews chapter 10. We're going to go to the last two verses. It says, well, let's, re- let's go back up to verse 35. Let's start there. Because, you know, one of the things that will help you grow in your study of the word, if you'll just ask simple questions as you read, right? So that's one of the easiest ways to, to learn the word of God. Um, just ask questions. You don't, you don't even have to buy a book for that. Just ask questions as you read, and the Holy Spirit will begin to help you search those things out. Um, how many of you know the same Holy Spirit that wrote these words is the same Holy Spirit that lives in the believer? Ask the author. <laughs> I mean, he's right there. Okay. Cast not away, therefore, your confidence. Does that mean you can cast it away? Is it possible to cast away your confidence if God tells you not to cast it away? Yes. So, it, so cast not away, therefore, your confidence, which has great recompense of reward. For you have need of patience, that after you've done the will of God, you might receive the promise. For yet a little while, and he that shall come will come and will not tarry. Now the just shall live by faith. There's that word again, faith. That's how we get saved, right? We're saved by grace through faith, right? By faith. Okay, listen, the just shall live by faith, but if any man draw back, my soul shall have no pleasure in him. But we are not of them who draw back unto perdition, but of them that believe to the saving of the soul. So this is a simple question. Can you draw back from what you don't have? If you don't have faith, you can't draw back from faith. Right? It's a simplistic question, but, the, but it's important to understand that it is possible for somebody to have faith and draw back from it. What's the implication of that? Then it's a reality that each and every person listening to me tonight can draw back from a faith that they have. God gives you free will. You're not a robot. God gives you a choice. We talked about this on Sunday morning, right? The two mountains, one for blessing, one for curse, one for life, one for death, and God says, choose. Choose. Free choice was engrafted in, 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 in the nation of Israel, and it is, it is inherent in our faith. God invites us. He beckons us. He calls us. Jesus said, come, but he doesn't make us. He invites. And in the same way, you have to understand that if, if, if we have this faith, that it is possible to draw back, if God says it's possible to draw back. Now, which leads us to an even greater question. In, in John 15, Jesus kind of hinted to this. But if you do draw back, what do you draw back to? Do you draw back to a timeout? Does God put you in the timeout chair? If it says you draw back, what do you draw back to? Do you see that word? It starts with a P. Perdition. What do you think that means? Destruction. That's right. Destruction. So those that turn away from faith, those that don't continue in Christ, those that no longer abide in Christ, those that, that, that are not continuing in what God started in them, if they draw back, they don't go to the timeout chair. They draw back to perdition. Now, pastor, where's that line? I don't know. I don't want to find out. I don't want to draw back. Do you? I don't. I, I don't want to draw back from my marriage vows. How many marriage vows can I draw back from before, you know, Sister Lindsay gets too mad at me? I don't know. I don't, and I don't care. I don't want to know. I don't want to draw back from those things because I want, I want to have a healthy marriage. Right? So I want to, how, how much drawing back from my faith, how much drawing back from Christ can I get away with? I don't know, and you shouldn't want to know. <laughs> you should just want to abide in him. Well, what do I got to do? Faith. We've said it, I think, four times now. Faith. That if you go back to Colossians 1, it said, if you continue in the faith. I made a little side joke. I said, you know, it's not continue standing on your head or serving. Because it's important because the devil will make you think that you've got to continue doing, 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 
doing. No, you continue believing. You have to continue believing. Now, will belief cause me to do things? Yes, because faith without works is dead, according to James chapter 2. But what works? Just the works that are produced out of this relationship of believing. God will stir me up to do something. God may stir me up one day to call you and, 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 and encourage you, and the next day he may call me to just go pray. But I'm just going to do whatever the Lord tells me to do. That's a, that is a work of my belief, whatever it is, whatever God has for me. So here's something I want you to see. You can't draw back from what you don't have, and it is unto perdition. It's not just simply your rewards that are lost or forfeited. It's not that you draw back and you, you know, you just lost your crown. No, it's perdition. Perdition is a powerful word in the Bible. It always means destruction. You're right. Never means lost rewards. It always means destruction. Um, so, but you, and you might say, but, but pastor, aren't we saved by grace? Like, isn't, isn't it, you know, whenever we believe, isn't it grace that gets us there? And isn't it grace that holds us there? Yes. But can you fall from grace? That's a question you should want to know. That's a question you should want to know. The answer to that is yes, you can fall from grace. We'll read that in Galatians chapter 5 real briefly. Galatians 5, Paul, once again, dealing with false teachers as he aptly does. The point of Galatians, the book of Galatians, was people that were bringing in law, Judaizing law. They were trying to make Judaizers out of the, out of the church. And there's nothing wrong with the law so long as you don't think that it is what makes you right with God. What makes us right with God is Jesus. If you want to try to fulfill all the laws of God, go for it. Knock yourself out. But don't think that that's what makes you righteous. It's Jesus that makes us righteous. He is our righteousness. Um, Galatians chapter 5, did I tell you what verse? Verse 4. Christ has become of no effect unto you. Now, is that a damning statement or what? Come on, because we live in America, so John 3.16 is our verse. It was in, uh, on every football field in the 80s. John 3.16. But, but look at that. Is it possible for someone to get to the point where Christ is ineffective for them? That's sad. Christ is become of no effect unto you. Whosoever of you are justified by the law, you are fallen from grace. This kind of, you know, crosses into a different area, but I just want you to see that it's possible for someone to have the grace of God in their life and to fall from it. The, the, the transition is the same thing, though. The lack of faith. They shifted over from faith into works. They shifted over from believing unto salvation and believing for the Holy Ghost. They shifted over from believing for these things in order for works to do these things. And that shift over into works dropped them out of grace. Dropped them out of grace. It said you were fallen. It didn't say you could, you would, you might, you should. It said you are fallen from grace. And so it is a sad reality, but it is possible for someone to once know God and taste and know that God is good and to experience the grace of God. It is possible for someone to once have the grace of God on their life and to fall from it. It's right there. It's right there. Um, well, what about the Old Testament? Because you've just been giving us a bunch of New Testament stuff, especially from Paul. Well, we started with Jesus, first of all. We started with Jesus. Um, there's a lot of times whenever you begin to listen to false teachers, they're like, okay, well, we're going to cut Paul out. Okay. Well, let's, let me show you one thing. Well, it, it's a couple of verses, but let me show you. It's Ezekiel chapter 18. I only got about two more places that I want to show you. Let's go over to Ezekiel chapter 18 to get Old Testament on it. Ezekiel chapter 18. Now, I will tell you this. I don't have time to read the whole chapter, 
However, this chapter is, is huge right now. And I'll tell you on what issue. One of the things that we see in America today is, is, is a, lot of, um, a, a lot of blame. Well, your people did this to my people. And, and your grandparents did this to mine. And you're going to have to pay. And it, it goes all over. Well, I know what y'all are like. Well, I know what your kind of people are like. You know, you see people crossing the border from other nations. Well, I don't want them in here. I know who they are. They do this and they do that. But Ezekiel chapter 18, God threads this needle so beautifully. And he, 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 he really judges Israel for judging people according to their father's sins or to their people. But God looks at the heart. God zeroes it in on the individual. And God said he's not going to cause your judgment to be because of what your dad did. So, you, you know, you might think generational curses and this and that and all this baggage, but when we're in Christ, we've been severed from those things. In, in, the, in the blood of the Lamb, those things get severed. Now, do you have to fight? Yes. You have to stand in faith? Yes. You have to take up the shield of faith? Yes. You have to pray in the Holy Ghost? Yes. You got to fight with the sword of the Spirit? Yes. Yes, yes. And all that, yes. But at the end of the day, the battle belongs to the Lord. It's not by my might. It's not by my strength. But it's what? It's by Him. It's by His Spirit. But, but what I want you to see, though, is that Ezekiel 18, the Lord zeroes everything down into the heart of you and me and everybody else. He's not going to hold me accountable for what my dad did. Uh, my son's not going to get to go to heaven because I go to heaven. Um, you know, it, it's, it's, God zeroes it in on the person, and we'll begin... And I'm, I'm saying that because I, I really want you to read the whole chapter later. But let's start with verse number 19. It says, yet you say, why? Why does not the son bear the iniquity of the father? When the son had done that which is lawful and right and has kept all my statutes and has done them, he shall surely live. The soul that sinneth, it shall die. The son shall not bear the iniquity of the father, neither shall the father bear the iniquity of the son. The righteousness of the righteous shall be upon him, and the wickedness of the wicked shall be upon him. Now, why am I bringing you here on a teaching of eternal security? Because God's going to bring it home right here. But I want you to see that God weighs people according to whether they're righteous or wicked. Now, what would you call somebody that does not continue in faith? backslider if they're not continuing in faith they're continuing in the flesh so there's some wickedness there so let's hey, call it for what it is right okay um it says in verse number 21 but if the wicked but if the wicked will turn from all all his sins that he has committed and keep all my statutes and do that which is lawful and right he shall surely live he shall not Die. Question. East Texas. Ask a question. Doesn't everybody die? If everybody dies, what in the world is the Lord talking about here saying that if I turn from my wickedness and I begin to do what's right, I begin to follow his law, I begin to do what he wants me to do, what does he mean I won't die? He's talking spiritually. He's talking about eternal life. He's, he, everybody naturally, physically is going to have to die. But not everybody has to go to hell. God doesn't want anyone to go to hell. God's not willing that any perish. But what is the deal? So the, the fact of the matter is, what he's talking about is eternal life. So these things begin to take a direct hit into what our topic is. Verse 22. All his transgressions that he had committed... They shall not be mentioned unto him. In his righteousness that he had done, he shall live. Listen to this. Have I any pleasure at all that the wicked should die, said the Lord God, and not that he should return from his ways and live? What would God rather? Would God rather, would, would God rather the wicked die and go to hell or the wicked repent and come home? God would rather the wicked repent and come home. That's our mandate. That's what Jesus preached. 
If you read Mark 1.15, that was the first message he preached. Repent. Repent. The kingdom of God is here. Repent. And so um, he says here, look, so God wants people to, to return and, and live. But look at this. But when the righteous, hold on, here we go. Who's righteous today? Okay. But when the righteous turn away from all, when, when the righteous turn away from his righteousness and committeth iniquity, and King James committeth means an ongoing thing, okay? It's a revolving deal. Committeth iniquity and do it according to all the abominations that the wicked man doeth, shall he live. So just because you're righteous today, does that give you the right to go and live wickedly? Hold on. I went to church Sunday. I'm good. Hold on. I'm a member at Second Third Church. I'm good. No, he says, if, if the righteous turn from those things and begin to do what? Begin to do what the wicked people do. Okay, now we're getting into the nitty-gritty. Um, it says, if he does according to all the abominations that the wicked man doeth, shall he live. All his righteousness that he had done shall not be mentioned in his trespass that he had trespassed and in his sin that he had sinned in them shall he die. So you have a guy that was righteous that could continue to live, but he says if this righteous guy begins to live wickedly, that's turning away from your faith, turning to the flesh, if this righteous guy begins to turn away and do these wicked things, shall he continue, Shall he live? No. He said he'll die. So coming back, when God was talking about dying and living earlier, we recognize he's talking about eternally. He's talking about eternal life or eternal death. And so this passage is telling in the Old Testament, God wasn't going to hold anybody accountable for their father's sins. And he's not going to hold my son accountable for mine. However, he is going to hold me accountable to live, to live unto him. And if, I, if, I, if, I, if I'm righteous today, but yet tomorrow I walk away from God and I begin to do what's wrong and wicked and begin to live like that, guess what? I've shipwrecked. I've drawn back. I've not continued. I'm no longer a branch that's producing fruit. And what happens? I'm going to die. I'm going to die. So the reality of the matter is, and, and, and I want you to know this is just skimming the surface, but the reality of the matter is over and over and over throughout Scripture, this is a teaching, okay? God never uh, changes. So I told you I had just a couple more places. I'm just going to take you to, to, uh, to, to two more places. Let's start with Luke 9, and then we'll go to the book of Revelation. Luke 9, and then we'll go to the book of Revelation. Matthew, Mark, Luke. And again, one of the things that I, I said earlier, but it'll help you in your study of the Bible as you read just begin to ask simple questions. Lord, who are you talking to here? You know, whenever Jesus was talking to Nicodemus and, and, and he told Nicodemus, ye must be born again. Well, it's important to know that. Why? Because there are some liars that would come to you and say, well, Jesus was just talking to Nicodemus. He wasn't talking to you. Well, you got to know the Bible. You got to know who are you talking to, Lord? And in, in the King James, it's abundantly clear because it's ye and not thee or thou. Ye means y'all. It's plural. If it's thou, it's singular. Thine is the glory. Thine is the kingdom. That's singular. It's only God's. But when Jesus said, ye must be born again, he's talking to all of us. It's whoever ears hear that, you got to be born again. So Luke chapter 9 Verse 61 and 62. And another also said, Lord, I will follow thee. But let me first go bid them farewell, which are at home at my house. 
And Jesus said unto him, No man having put his hand to the plow and looking back is fit for the kingdom of God. This is some one of the things you got to settle. It, there's, you, you can't put your hand to the plow and look back and still remain in Christ. The, this reality Jesus teaching here is that you can't draw back and continue. You're going to do one or the other. We, we can't play, you know, the Lord on one day and the devil on another day. We're, we're either believing unto salvation or we've drawn back from our faith. We're either, you know, we're either producing fruit or we're not. It's, you, 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 there's no back and forth thing. Um, so let's finish up in the book of Revelation, like I said. Just giving you a, a wide range of scripture so that you can get it down pretty good. Now, in Revelation chapter 3, the Lord is uh, in the middle of these uh, seven churches. The seven churches in Revelation. These seven churches all have something in common. They all get a word from the Lord. All of them, all of them have to heed it. Now, there's powerful truths in all of them, but I'm just going to point out two of them to you. In Revelation chapter 3, verse 3. Revelation 3, verse 3. Now, this is the church of Sardis. Whenever the Lord brings rebuke, he always brought a word of affirmation first. He always said, hey, you guys are doing this, this, and this. However, you forgot this. He didn't always start out with just a, you know, you're no good. It was always, you did this right, you did this right, and you did this right. However, you missed this part. Now, let's read here. Let's start with, with, with verse 2. He says, be watchful and strengthen the things which remain and that are ready to die, for I have not found thy works perfect before God. Remember, therefore, how thou hast received and heard, and hold fast and repent. Now, this is a church he's talking to. He's telling a church to repent. You got to get that down. This will make you miss it all. A church has to repent um, and repent. If, that, if therefore thou shalt not watch, I will come on thee as a thief, and thou shalt not know uh, what hour I will come upon thee. Thou hast a few names, even in Sardis, which have not defiled their garments, and they shall walk with me in white, for they are worthy. He that overcomes, the same shall be clothed in white raiment, and I will not blot out his name out of the book of life, but I will confess his name before my father and before the angels." So, the blotting out of the book of life, what does it mean to blot something out? It means to take out what was once there. We don't have time, but over in Colossians chapter 2, there's a parallel passage. You might remember it. It says that, that the, the writing and the ordinances were blotted out at the cross. The things that were written against you, he blotted them out on the cross. So what, it, what does it mean to blot out? It means something's there and then something takes it off or takes it out. I'm thankful that the blood of Jesus that was shed on that cross blotted out my sins. It was sin, sin, sin written all over me and that blood blotted that off. Now I'm clean. But how sad would it be to have a name in the book, in the book of life and then be blotted? That means that the Lord would have used whatever he had to use to erase it. Now, is it a figure of speech? I, I don't know. I think there is a figurative, a literal figurative book of life that our names literally are in. But it shows you right there that it's possible that if these people didn't watch, if they didn't follow, if they didn't repent, that it was possible for these, these church-going folks to have their name blotted out of the book of life. Now that's sad. Last part, verse 14. Different church. The church that most people say is ours. Well, not ours, but America's. Our generation. It says, unto the church, and unto the angel of the church of the Laodiceans write, these things saith the amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of the creation of God. I know thy works, 
that thou art neither cold nor hot. I would thou wert cold or hot. Now, is, is Jesus telling this to the heathen? Who's he telling this to? He's selling this to Christians. Is he telling this to Christians? Yes. Jesus is telling Christians that they are neither cold nor hot. Right? So then, because thou art lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will spew thee out of my mouth. Okay. Christians can get spewed out of the mouth of Jesus. I don't want to do that. I don't want to do that. That means it's possible for Christians to get so lukewarm to the point where Jesus is done with us. That's sad. Lord forbid that that ever happens to us. Now, the Lord here abundantly and clearly shows us that it's not his desire to do that because he said, I would that thou were cold or hot. That's his desire, his desire. Now, and, and, and don't let the cold and hot with cheap sermons throw you off. That's not what it means. It doesn't mean like cold or hot, like I wish you were against me or for me. It means usable. Um, this, the, the, the um, church here in Laodicea, if you go and look at your map or you go look on Google Earth or whatever, they had this, this river, this stream that flowed from one part of the town to another. And, and, and if the water, how many of you know water that sits out in your garage Maybe you got a cup of water, you sit it out in the garage for about a year, you probably don't want to drink it because it's going to make you sick and you're going to spew it up. But if that water's fresh, if it's coming out of the ground fresh, it's going to be cold or hot, right? And that's what it is. It's usable. You can, if it's hot water, you can bathe in it or you can use it to wash something. If it's cold water, you can drink it and be refreshed, but it's usable either way, Right? But lukewarm water is where you get bacteria growing. You get things growing in it. You get issues with it. And if you try to ingest it, it will come out. And Jesus is using that illustration. Now, this was a, this, um, if you look at the Bible background on this commentary, the Laodiceans, the, this was a real thing. Like, they, the Laodiceans had to really check the water to make sure that it was fresh. It wouldn't cause them to get sick. And that's what he was saying. He was saying, I would that you were hot or cold, usable, that you were repentant, that you were faithful, that you were diligent, that you continued, that you were, you know, going with the Lord. But because you're indifferent, because you're indifferent, because you're indifferent, you're lukewarm. And he said he's going to spew you out of his mouth. So this is a reality that Jesus told not heathen, this is not a evangelistic sermon for altar call. Come on, you've been lukewarm all your life. It's time to come to the Lord. It wasn't that. This was to the church. And Jesus told the church, look, you've not been in it. You've not been right with me. You've not gone all the way with the Lord. You've not fully surrendered. You've, you've held back on God You've, you've not pressed in all the way. You've not given God all your heart. You haven't prayed with all that you have. You haven't sought God diligently. You haven't liked that heart. You haven't gone after God panting like the heart does for water. You haven't gone after God like that. And the Lord said, you must. You must. He must be our all. He must be our all. He must be our everything. Jesus said that we must love the Lord our God with all. Not some, all our heart, mind, soul, and strength. That's what he wants from us. He wants, he wants to be supreme in our life. He doesn't want to have a rival in my life. Amen? So, the key to it all is continuing. I'll just close with that. In Colossians chapter 1, if you'll go back and read that, the key to all of it was continuing. He said that he would keep you blameless, unreprovable. He would keep you holy if you continued in the faith. And that's, that's the key to it. So is it possible for someone to be right with God and to draw back? Yes. What do they draw back to? Perdition. 
What is the branch that's not producing fruit? It gets cut off. And where does it go when it gets cut off? Into the fire. Over and over and over throughout the Bible. Uh, so, so it is a severe reality. Um, once saved, always saved is not true. It is not true. Uh, I, would, I would still eat dinner with somebody that believed it. I just would try to correct them if I could. Um, but, you know, it is a reality, and people need to know the reality, and especially you need to know the reality. So your job is to continue in your faith. Faith is what got you here. Faith will keep you here. It's not by your might. It's not by your strength, but it's by the Spirit of God. If you believe, God will keep you. You just keep believing. Amen? All right. Hallelujah. Lord, we bless you tonight, and we thank you, Lord, for this time in your word. Lord, we pray that you would let the word have full reign in our lives.